0: The phoenix and the dragon in traditional Japanese tattoos symbolize harmony and power. That there is no inner strength without harmony. Brought to you by your two co-hosts, Brian Comstock, an e-commerce brand builder in the field of ergonomics with GetNeely.com. He's experimented with every form of scientifically validated human advancement, ranging from MDMA-assisted therapy, ayahuasca retreats, to peptides and stem cells. Scott Conway is a lead generation and sales expert who has a Hyros.com certified lead generation agency, LGG Media. He is a dragon.
1: Episode nine, Phoenix and the Dragon, Mr. All-American, Brian Comstock.
0: How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing phenomenal. That's spelled with a PH and uh, excited to be here. Awesome. So it's a science, it's a science, phenomenal.
1: <laughs> it's a science-based phenomenal. I'm excited for, I'm, ex- I'm excited for this episode. I just got, not just got back, but the week Labor Day weekend, I went on a, a three day, three day IS ceremony.
0: You did the three day. So hows that, is that so, cause I thought it was either five day or two day, right, or how to work. So this one is, is a different
1: one. Than the one that we're familiar with, where it's, it's by, I guess, like a similar vein of shamas, the same, literally the same family. And it's in the mountains in close to Santa Elena, just outside of Medellin. And it's at a little more traditional. It's more like camping as opposed to a bougie villa, like a bougie five-star, five-star villa. This one is more, more bead knit or raw dog. Like, like glamping minus the glamour. Yeah, exactly. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> and so um, they have this beautiful Moloka, which for the I guess that's like a gazebo. I don't know what the difference is between that and gazebo, other than the terminology that's used for it. And the it's it was mostly every time that I've gone, I find that it's mostly been locals like Colombians. It's a bit it's a bit cheaper as far as uh, retreats go in, in Colombia is way cheaper as opposed to the ones in Peru, which for context, usually the ones in Colombia are about 300 to $800 for, for a retreat. Whereas the ones in Peru usually run anywhere from about a grand to
0: 3,500. then there's ones like, I forgot the name, it's Selena or something that's, I think it's in Costa Rica or Solana, they might be or maybe not, but in any case, there's, there's the kind of the high-end ones that Stephen James, he's like a micro-influencer, probably wouldn't be happy if, I, if he heard the word micro, but he's like one of the influencers. And like- Yeah, he's yeah. you know, like a fucking small baller. <laughs> but he, like many people, have been touting about their experiences with it. And he did one that's, I think it's more in like the five grand range, but it's more of the bougie, blah fancier you get like your own whatever but there's a whole range of it you can do it anywhere from 300 to five grand and so what was your experience in terms of the differences or what was your take on out in the wood style like what's how do you feel about all this and from a comparison standpoint firsthand experience
1: that's a great question before i answer that i wonder how many followers you need before you stop becoming a micro influencer to an actual influencer
0: yeah yeah, probably don't have to worry about that for a while.
1: Mostly- <laughs> so to get back to your question, there's been, I've it was the third time that I went. The first time that I went, I don't know, I've been really fortunate with my ayahuasca experiences where generally I've really connected with the people there, like the ones that, that we go to typically is, has always been like a total hit. And I've generally gone with the same people too. There's always been like, different people that come to but generally it's, it's the same crew and whereas this one is i found that the gringos that i've gone with have just been like way like i, and I don't say this i i, I want to try to not say this with any
0: judgment but they're already gringos so
1: already off to a bad start they're generally like very hippie like a bit too hippie to a point whereas I, I don't respect the lives that they built like they don't have they don't have every air the fuckin' is really, is really what I'm getting at, and so it's like it's cool to connect with them and to share that experience with them. But am I gonna hang out with them outside of that? Definitely not. And first, gringos go, but the Colombians there that go to those are, are usually really dope. We're really interesting, and and I really am a big fan of the I'm a big fan of the shaman that that runs uh, runs that. He's he's cool as fuck. It was so funny. He was we were, I was just chatting with him on the night before or in the evening before the first night ceremony of uh, how he's been. He's telling me that he just finished building his house like outside of this uh, in the mountain. More than, like, more, more than I can say. He's, yeah, more uh, more than I could say. Like He's just built a fucking house. And then offhand comment, he's like, yeah, if you want me to teach you construction, I can. And I'm like, wow.
0: Thank you. How do I build a house? Wiki how or this new friend? That's amazing. Yeah. So it's
1: if I want to if I want to plug, for construction definitely have an end. Part of me as well is like this pipe dream of starting like a doing like a doing like a glamping hotel or something here in in Medellin. I don't know if I have if I will have the bandwidth to do that for a while, but for now it remains a pipe dream. So I definitely do, definitely think I will. He actually followed up
0: with that offer, and he's like, no, seriously, if you want to come. <laughs> I actually do know someone in Medellin who is trying to create a really high-end hotel that is looking for investors and stuff. So I will I'll chat with you after on it. But yeah, man, be careful what you ask for because the world might present it to you as an opportunity. But yeah, go ahead. What's interesting about ayahuasca is that that kind of that flow that you get in after the fact of
1: just like everything of just inspiration and what the locals will call like opening your heart or, or that that practice. Of leading with intuition, or less hippie way to to say it, of just following your gut. Of what is a fuck yes? Is this a fuck yes? Okay, time so to go in this direction. Is this not a fuck yes? Then no. Time to time to pivot or or focus on on something else.
0: That's such a that's such a key one. But I really revisit that a lot. Is it a fuck yes to do my taxes? No, but. It, it's a fuck. Yes. That's such a hilarious example, but it is a fuck yes to destroy any figment of fear of the IRS that I have in my <laughs> mind. So it's, there are. It's like some things are you got are like necessary, but that, that's really the thing is like the discretion of when to utilize these concepts that do have a lot of truth to them. And the fuck yes or hell no is is a big one. I think it's most applicable to pro like different projects and ambitions and works you have in the oven. That's, I think about it, like doing this with you podcast, doing all the stuff we're doing, like that's exciting. There's the way I think of it is do things have an expansive, do things have an expansive feel or a contractive feel? So when I first came to Columbia, it was a very expansive feel, new territory, new map, new friends, new amigas, and it's a whole expansive feel starting this podcast, expansive feel. So those are like a fuck yes for me. And I got plenty of fuck no's, but we don't have time for those. But that's kind of how I, how I try to think about it is like, how does it actually feel when I think about doing X, Y, Z? That's a really interesting way to look at it. Or is it
1: expansive? And I can't remember, fuck, I did it. I, can't, I hate that I can't remember the source and that this is just an anecdote, but the, there was, they did this, evaluation, I don't want to call it a study because I'm not sure if it was a study, but they found that people that have brain damage to the part of the brain that is emotion, that processes emotions, actually can't make decisions when they're only based in logic. And they can intellectually understand something, they can do math, they can calculate things, but when it comes to actually making a decision, they can't make a decision. And so what that tell, what that shows is that it's like a, it's an integral process. It's like a, both a left brain, as well as a, a right brain phenomenon of making what goes into a decision of, is this expansive? Is this taking me to the, where is
0: I want to be? Or is it not? That I would love if you send that to me, that's actually really interesting. Cause I, I don't know if this is exactly it, but I feel as if I resonate with that strongly insofar as I've had many times where when you're trapped in that logic side of the brain of should I do this? Does it make mathematical sense? I'll gain this, whatever. I'll save this money. I'll meet these friends. Like you can make a log- logical argument for things, but I still feel trapped by it. And I think it's because it's missing that emotion, the emotional valence of, yeah, it makes mathematical sense. However, you're drafting up the equation and whatever you value. But do you actually have that energetic, emotional, magnetic pull towards it? And without that, I feel I've had many instances where yeah, it makes sense. Like I should move for these reasons, X, Y, and Z, but it's until it hits that like emotional charge, it doesn't happen. And, and then this has been talked about in a million different ways with sales. People buy their, even if they have emotional or log, logical reasons, they're still buying like from an emotional place. They're so excited. They could be excited about their logical reasons, but it's still if you just get them trapped in the logic. Then it it just doesn't motivate, doesn't create at least short term behavior change. Like short term behavior change, aka a sale, you need that. How do you tap into that emotional thing? How do you get people excited? And so that's actually what I'm studying a lot right now. It's on that front, not just the emotional piece, but just that an appreciation for that. Because if you come from more of an engineer or hard, hyper rational world, which is more or less how I've thought of things, then you lose that side, You lose that. Right? And it's like, oh, why do I need to like, get them jumping up and down, walking through fire? Why can't I just tell them the answer? It's like, you got to get people excited. Otherwise, they just sit there. There's no <laughs> transaction.
1: And that's you know, what's interesting about on that note, on a, from a marketing standpoint, is anytime that we're marketing a service is always lead with, okay, what are the actual pain points of the customer? What are their fears? What keeps them up at night? Because that's what's going to uh, creating messaging around that is what's going to gravitate them towards the sales process. Whether it's that you're putting out a piece of content, whether that you're putting out an ad, whether that you're speaking to a customer one on one. With the most important piece is actually finding out what it is that their pain is. And funny enough, like it's one of our in terms of sales process, it's one of our five, uh, one of the five, excuse me. Most important behaviors that actually go into creating interest and then bringing a deal to close. Say it actually the offer makes up about sixty percent because a bad excuse me a good offer can overcome a lot of things in the sales process. And then the actual probably about thirty percent of it is thirty percent of it is actually speaking to that pain or fear. And then the other ten percent is the other nuances,
0: of uh, of the sales process that can impact performance. Yeah. I've worked with a lot of different clients and such, and the, actually the ones who appear to be most logic-based, like I'm making reason-based decisions and whatnot are actually acting from the most emotional place. So it, it's it basically, it's a long way of saying it applies to everyone, even if they like pretend that it's why are you purchasing this company It's makes sense for my but I got this plan and blah blah and they're just real but they're actually really excited they really they want this they want it and then you talk to them two months later and it's like what'd you do with the company and they're like oh kind of lost some momentum and I'm like where did in my head I'm like where did all that excitement go that you were so excited to acquire this company and then what happens and so I thought you had all the logic down and so where' did the logic go it's like well the logic never really fucking matters it's more just what do people like emotionally want to do today? It's the answer.
1: So funny that you say that. I find that a lot of it, when I when we first started LGG, a lot of the customers, I would, it's making me, me making rookie sales mistakes in our first year of business where a lot of demanding, like hyper-rational customers, like just get to the fucking point already. Anytime that I would do that and I would play to them and I would play to that, they would Never fucking buy for me.
0: Yeah, even if you give thats the thing. That's my favorite thing about dealing with people is even if you give them, especially girlfriends, even if you give them what they say they want, it's the furthest fucking thing from it. It's
1: so so accurate. I can't speak. I can't speak to that. (laughs) But I I don't know. I don't know who you're dating, Brian. But yeah, with my experience (laughs) in that specific realm, whenever it is that that I've accommodated or gone out of way my way to accommodate. A partner, she's always been like grateful and I've always noticed greater harmony. Yeah. There's
0: obviously context and some nuance to
1: it. Yeah. But in any case, yeah, your point stands. And then just to give some value as for the actual answer to this question, if you're wondering what it is, it's leading them to, and leading them through, you're sticking to your guns and just being assertive about the sales process. Uh understanding that you have a certain way to bake a cake and your recipe is what is going to bake that cake successfully and then them trying to hijack the recipe and put like corn or fucking pepper into your cake is just going to bake it taste like shit and they're not going to buy anything
0: that's a whole other thing that actually does relate to like people you date or whatever but it's like holding that frame so there when the that sales prospect is like hey let's come into my frame and like acquiesce to what i'm telling you i want even though it's not actually what i want or more specifically it's not going to result in what you want which is the sale if you do what i'm asking or help so them solve their problem or help them solve their problem so that's the whole that's what i'm getting at is a lot of times what people vocalize they say they want there it's a, it becomes a really tricky thing without getting like philosophical of do you know better what they want than they do and this all this like crazy stuff is you do know on a tactical level, like what actually you specifically, Scott, from your business experience, you do know what is going to lean towards sales and what's going to actually, and when you've cave into their frame, it's not actually going to, it's work. So I just find that fascinating. It's, you were very confident that you just wanted to get to the fucking point or whatever it was, and then you do it and then boom. So that's why there is a process. That's why there is a, some level of, but. Human psychology is endlessly fascinating. That's basically how I think about it. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to, I was listening to, and and not to get political, but I was listening to this talk about the pretty much like the second in in command in, in Ukraine and how he is, how he is very much like a psychoanalyst and how it's helped him really just navigate like that whole like psychology of managing a country going through a crisis like that uh and it really just goes it's really just a, a anecdote to what
0: it is that we're talking about i don't want to go too into that but uh no but you can make, extrapolate while you're, you're you can extra, you can use your point to extrapolate because that's a really interesting petri dish yeah yeah it's he's used because he understands
1: the psychology of the psychology of the people and what it is that they're going through throughout that war, he's able to then create messaging and specifically tailor his entire approach. Like for example, he sits down once a week and he'll actually go over live for the country. Like what's going on on the front lines as it, and not without giving any like details or battle plans. Then there's that also like the informational warfare piece of it, like managing morale, managing like the press releases, managing all of the little tidbits of information to To lead, to help lead the people and help rally the people of Ukraine to defend their country.
0: That's a really interesting. I feel like there's a lot of gleanings of like how to manage a company when things are on fire to a degree, or when things are maybe that's too literal of a, but when things are in a difficult situation of like, oh, we had to, we're approaching layoffs, we're approaching a recession, we're approaching our new product release didn't work. Like when you, how do you manage? at a mass scale whether it's a country or an organization or a company of any size you communicate in a way that that keeps people together and keeps people moving towards the common goal without getting rattled disoriented confused and there is a level of i have to give you enough information so that you feel like i gave you real information and you feel valued and respected and not like i'm withholding information and there's a balance between that and what information is actually useful for you to know so that's a whole, that's a really interesting thing that it sounds like he's. To plug that source, the video is called the
1: fifth project for Ukraine. And the channel is good times, bad times. It's a geopolitics channel on, on YouTube, which I'm totally obsessed with.
0: Very cool. I think there's a book titled something like that. I wonder if it's, but that sounds really cool. So circling back real quick, just because I'm interested in this stuff. Did, so there is a difference from the eye on the eye of front between the hippie crowd versus like you're saying the gringo hippie crowd. So there's difference in crowds of like what kind of people attract, which makes sense in anything, right? Like different price points bring different types of customers or whatever. But how about stripping all that away? You know, your more isolated experience of being in, in, in a different environment, different things like that. Did you have, I, what, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Because I've heard that being in the woods and stuff actually draws more of that the more of the energy and actually creates more of a potent connection is the word we used, right? Like you're, are you connecting with the medicine? Yeah. Like I, I think I mentioned this earlier, but this particular me going there, this was the third time that I had went
1: and the name of the podcast is actually partly inspired by the second time that, that I went. We having a vision about being a dragon and uh, which is not a vision. It's a fucking reality. <laughs> Thank you for that. So this last one was, I went in with the mindset of, Hey, like I'm way overdue for a ceremony. It's been coming up on five months now that I haven't, uh, I haven't gone. And so I got some shit to work on. I got some work to do. I got some things to figure out. And what I really appreciate about the I.O. ceremonies is, and I'm not sure if I've talked about this on other episodes, but tell me if I have, where it's like a, all the tools of Titans, I believe were, uh, Fuck, I think it's Tools of Titans. There, there could be another one where talking, talking about very like ultra successful people, yeah. like the uh, J.K. Rowlands, Oprah, all take a of a two or three day break, or they'll just go out to a cabin. They'll disconnect with their disconnect with their phone as just an mm-hmm. opportunity to reset and reflect, just to take that time to look at life from an observer perspective. And they always come back refreshed with a lot of creativity and new ideas. And ayahuasca for me, it's a very dynamic and visceral way to do that. It's not like you're just like, I me. Mean, it's diagnosed with ADHD. Like I don't just have, I don't want to just fucking sit on my thumb of my ass and just do nothing. Like one of those like 10 day silent <laughs> meditations. Like I'm sure that sounds great, but I don't know. How do we make this as hard as possible? Like how can we like what interests me is a vision quest where it's five days silent,
0: but there's no food or water. Like it's, <laughs> it's that's more badass to me. It's interesting you say that because I do think that res- it resonates with me. I have an example I'm going to give of like, actually, the more active is more engaging and therefore usually more successful for me. So I'm doing this like posture therapy called Igosku, and a lot of their exercises are relatively passive. Many kind of just sit there for a long period of time and that's really boring. And so I've been doing it. And then my trainer or whatever they want to call themselves was like, which do you have any favorite exercises? And I'm, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, this and this. And he's like, wow, most people don't pick those as their favorite exercises. And I'm like, those are the ones where I feel like I'm actually doing something. And he's like, yeah, that's actually the reason like people shy away from them. So it's interesting. Like you want to feel like you're doing something, you're earning it. And like, that's, and I think that's fine to a degree. I do think there's this, there is the quote where it's like, can you just sit still by yourself for 30 minutes and not like hate your life? I do think there's something to that of being able to get in a more passive receive mode, but putting that aside for now and permanently, I think, not, I just think for certain people, like you, you, let's just play to your strengths. So yes, I do think there's value. In fact, I know people who have received value from the 10 day silent meditation. I know people who just go in the woods and basically do the ayahuasca retreat minus the ayahuasca. I know people who have received value from that. But I think playing to your natural proclivities and strengths, which is I want to feel active. I want to engage with this. That's how we can justify doing whatever the fuck we want basically. So wait, people go in the woods and they don't do ayahuasca. I know someone who did some version of that. Yeah. He just got like a he got like a cabin (laughs) He got a cabin and just did like a digital detox, which is good. Get a break from work, get a break from your phone, solitude. I know you're making a joke, but I do think there is value in that aside from the IO. But if you ask me, yeah, let's up the dose. So let's get this, pun intended. Let's go, baby.
1: So I can't remember how we got onto that, but also quick aside, but I imagine
0: those exercises are what, like probably like power <laughs> cleans and fucking snatches, you maniac. No, they're, it's super not like that, actually. that's It's just like, like arm circles is like, wow, that's active. No, it's a very different. I just, yeah, I use it as like a supplement towards my actual workouts that you're describing, which is more of like the powerlifting stuff. And yeah, it's so interesting. He's like, wow, most people don't like those extra. Like, I just feel like I'm not getting anything if I'm sitting there. So I'm So with you on that. It's like you just sit there and meditate, or you sit there and hold this pose. You sit there, and there is a belief, right? And don't beliefs drive placebo, nocebo? Like don't, but don't beliefs drive actual, like results? And to a large degree, there's just an implicit belief that I'm not doing anything, therefore I'm not getting any benefit. Which I do recognize can be problematic, a problematic way of thinking in, in some capacity, but. Like I said, I also think it's like what, sometimes you just got to play towards your strengths and we like to do stuff. We like to be active. So that's, we'll find healing modalities that arrange around that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to,
1: there's we so going back to ayahuasca of um, the, yeah, going back to this retreat. So the first night I, the mean, I really went into go to work and the one thing that one of the rocks that I took with me was from episode five or an interview with Nico of how we talked about never half assing it, never going in, and uh, and half cocking it, and so I went in. Okay, I was completely exhausted because for context, I got a full leg sleeve tattoo on Monday, which for those of you who have not got a full leg sleeve, it is
0: extreme. It's very it's like running a marathon, and, and it, this and it also provides context for really anything you want to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, <laughs> that's uh, me can't
1: not being able to shut the fuck up about tattoos joke. <laughs> this particular tattoo was is a three three and a half hour three and a half hour sitting of doing the outline. So the outline is more of a deeper cutting kind of motion, if you will. And so there's on one hand, you have the blood loss. And then on the other hand, you have the side effects of the blood loss, which include lack of sleep. And then also the, because leading up to ayahuasca, there's three days of, three days of not being able to take ADHD medication, which my output on ADHD medication versus my output not on ADHD medication is 30 to a hundred percent respectively. And so having to work extra hours to achieve like, similar, if if not even close to the same amount of production. And so I was completely, and then there's the blood loss plus lack of sleep and a combination of all those factors and having to work extra. There was, I was completely exhausted this Friday going into it. So I went in still with that, that intention of, Hey, I'm not going to half-ass it. And I wanted to stay up for, I wanted to stay up for the night. Now, I made a deal like with myself, okay, I'm going to get a bit of rest so I can come at this from a position of strength. And so I rested for, call it two hours the first night, uh, the first night ceremony. And then when I add those is after I took the first cup and then I took the second cup. And one of the ideas that I kept thinking about was this idea of Buddha versus Michael Jordan. Like one of the ideas that, I'm obsessed with Star Wars and uh, a lot of Star Wars Jedi ideas and ideologies are, are rooted in, in Buddhism and a mixture of various philosophies or spiritual practices, but a lot of it comes from Buddhism. And Buddhism has this one idea of Scylla, which means to treat all living beings with respect and acceptance and appreciation for their, po- for their positive qualities, except cockroaches, fuck cockroaches. And mosquitoes. Yeah, and mosquitoes. So after, that was the one idea that I've been thinking about of, of compassion. But then there's another Buddhist idea of being an example and not telling people, but instead showing them through your actions. And those are really the two two ideas that I had gone into the ceremony reflecting on and thinking about. And also, what is the middle ground between... That's another Buddhist idea of never taking anything to its extreme and finding, walking the middle path and in that middle path is where the truth is. And so what is the middle path between this idea of Buddhist compassion and acceptance? And then Michael Jordan excellence, the ex, having standard, having high standards and challenging other people. So more on that, more, more on that later. But the first night ceremony was a lot of it. It's kind of thinking about it and reflecting on these ideas, I didn't get that that deep with them. But then the day ceremony, the day ceremony was a lot of it was just the standard like thinking about people in my life that are really important to me, thinking about relationships that really matter to me, and what it's funny because I'm like I'm downplaying this, but this is probably one of the biggest themes in, in, in or I lead it in downplaying this, but this is one of the biggest themes in my life where. A lot of the root cause, excuse me, I have a really bad habit of taking people that are really important to me for granted. And where that comes from is that I take myself for granted, where all this shit that I'm doing like two companies, L- media, LG homes, podcast, gym, like serious relationship, all juggling friends, all these different content, all these different responsibilities is... I don't stop and give myself a pat on the back. I don't ever thank myself for building this kingdom. And looking around, life is pretty fucking awesome. I live in Columbia, have an awesome heart, gorgeous and have a great connection. And it makes me happy. I have fucking awesome friends like yourself. Everybody that we know here in, in Medellin, everybody that I know back home and in Ottawa. and having these, being in a position financially where I can, I'm pretty much paid to learn at this point where continue to pay to level up my skills and challenge myself in entrepreneurship. And as soon as I started to, as soon as I I said, thank you, you mean the world to me, to myself, it's like just total catharsis and release. And it led me to the conclusion of that's really the root cause of why it is that I'm taking all these people that fucking mean the world to me for granted is and the reason I'm so demanding with them
0: cuz you are of your cuz i'm so
1: yeah exactly yeah and it's one of those one of that those cliche therapy examples of being the relationship that you have with yourself
0: is a relationship that you have with the world you can't give what you don't have so yeah. if you don't have self compassion you can't have it's not going to be easy to give compassion to others yeah. A lot of things popped out and all that. That's beautiful. There's more. I'm going to, all right, let's do a little like half commercial with me talk yeah. and then try to take some mental notes for you. Let's keep uh, keeping this thread going. Cause this is great. A couple of things. I'm going to come back to this often and often because I think it's one of the most important things. And it, it's one of the things I really do want to repeat, like thinking of myself before I knew this idea of, when you hear these stories of people's, whatever, it could be a silent retreat, it could be a, a message from God. I know people who didn't do it psychedelics and they swore they heard a message from God. And he's sort of these divine experiences, whether it's the ayahuasca. We're going to talk a lot about that because that's what we're familiar with. And you people say what you said, oh, I now I discovered self compassion, all these things. They sound very cliche and, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense your intellectual brain is going to go, Oh yeah, that, I guess that makes sense. But why this stuff is so powerful is you feel it on a visceral, deep knowing level that you cannot access ordinarily easily in your day-to-day state. So for someone to say, Oh, you should have self-compassion. You'd be like, great point. Let me get on that. But that's just not how it just doesn't work that way. So that's why these experiences are so one of, one of the reasons and I will always say one of the reasons, because there there is like a whole multiple petals to the flower, but I think one of the core ones is this, is it, you tap into it on a deep visceral level, like a deep knowing that it just, you, it's like, you believe it all of a sudden. It's you're like, oh yeah, like this is, and that, that's what makes it freaking amazing is you've been, it's like you probably knew that on an intellectual level for a while, oh, I should probably give myself a pat on the back. I should probably do this and that. And then it's boom, you just got seismic shifts in the right direction overnight. I don't know. Does that, does that more or less, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And it goes back to our earlier conversation on
1: buying psychology of intellectually knowing something versus emotionally understanding it and then understanding it to a level where you're actually implementing it. The Dalai Lama talks about that as the three levels of understanding.
0: What's he say about that? What's he say about that?
1: Oh, that exactly, that exactly that uh, that roadmap of intellectually understanding something versus emotionally understanding something
0: and then understanding it to a point where you're actually implementing it and living on it. That's great. I really think those are very three different levels. They're not, they're like three different worlds and like you want to move up the chain. The other thing I wanted to say, as far as the Buddha versus Michael Jordan, I actually just finished reading this book called The King, The Warrior, The Magician, The Lover. It's basically a book on, Their idea of what a mature, quote unquote, mature masculine in this world is and should look like and has looked like historically. What's the title? The King, the Warrior, the Magician, the Lover. I think that's the order of it, but it's those four words. And you'll find it if you get half of that correct. And it's a really interesting book because it talks about how we're in a crisis of masculinity in this world which is a whole other thing that kind of like border borderline, like a political conversation of like just women are becoming, at women are becoming masculized and, and all this stuff. But the thing about it, as it relates to what you said about the Buddha and you're saying balance between the Buddha and compassion, and then that get it done. Michael Jordan energy. That's exactly what they talk about in that paradigm. The, lo- the lover is the Buddha of these compassion, the feeling, the having doing it from a place of love and a better purpose. The warrior is Michael Jordan. He's the guy who gets it done. He's the masculine energy who gets the job done. Doesn't matter if he feels good or bad. He's just a linear line towards execution and success. And really what's interesting is we all have, we being men have all four of these aspects in us and it's like, how do you harmonize them? Cause if you're too extreme in one, then things get lopsided. So if you're all warrior without any lover in you you're just going to be a psychopath. You're just going to be someone who just gets things done based off cold calculation. And it's, there's no heart, there's no soul. And then there's, and then what's really interesting. There's like a shadow aspect, all these, which is where things go sideways, but just to validate basically what you're saying of this is a a real thing of like, how do you actually balance these different components? And that's why I'm a big believer in, and like not doing things in extremism, like extremism is almost guaranteed to be unproductive and finding that the right balance, so how can you be like the Buddha, Michael Jordan? And so, anyway, that book is really good. I think it's a necessary read for men today. It's particularly relevant for today because we're at a crisis, we're at a sort of a cultural crisis, and the man and like the masculine energy and has been attacked. I would say the last whatever like 10, 20, 30 years, different things that I'm not going to name drop like the different movements and whatever, but yeah, let's not go Yeah. So anyway, so super interesting book that's tied into what you're saying. It's interesting. And about, about these times of crisis is when people
1: often turn to false idols, regardless of whatever their ideology is, any extremism and how I define extremism is the kind of the old, old school kind of Canadian political school of thought that school of thought that we were taught growing up in schools is anytime that you're willing to use violence to in, enforce your, enforce your ideas is when it is, that's the, that is the line of extremism. If it's not from a place of, of self-defense mm-hmm. instead if it's from a place of, place of offense. And so anybody that advocates that categorically against felt like that was a mandatory disclaimer.
0: Very cool. I'm pumped that what was your intention going into the, to the retreat? Cause you said you felt overdue and like, how much did you put into thinking about intentions, which is like a brief aside, I think are a little bit overrated when it comes to ayahuasca, but just curious, what was your, what were you hoping to gain? And do you feel like you got what you were hoping to gain? Do you feel like you got something different, some combination? What's funny is that whenever I go
1: into the, I tend to go into ayahuasca ceremonies with an intention. And more often than not, I get it. In this particular one, like I went in like I want to go find, I want to do deep work and I want to find that self-love, that that and that enlightenment and really what that looks like. But what is that middle path between Buddha and Michael Jordan was the fundamental question that I went in trying to answer. And so after the day ceremony, I was completely exhausted. Like I was just like, I was at ropes end, and they, after the day ceremony, they'll sit you in it. We sit in a circle and we talk about our experiences, what it is that we've learned. We share like a traditional caldo, caldo, which is like a, a soup. I don't know what the common denominator is of it other than it being a soup. Why it's called a caldo as opposed to sopa in Spanish. But anyway, is a yuca and pineapple caldo that... Uh, we share so it's vegan (laughs) gluten-free it's delicious and we go around the circle we drink this we drink this soup and then caldo and then we share we share our experiences because this was mostly colombians it was all in spanish now i was just sitting there on the chair just like for those of you that are are listening versus watching this on, on youtube i was just like staggering in the chair like I was just complete. I was just a mess. Like I was mumbling to myself, like, it's a kingdom of heaven, or it's, excuse me, it's a kingdom of conscious, or it's a kingdom of nothing from that Orlando Blue movie, Kingdom of Heaven. And it took every ounce of strength that I had just to sit in that chair. And so I took some, I took some Ambil and, and some Mambay, which the Ambil is a tobacco, attack, tobacco based solution. That you eat, and for me, the ham bill has always been extremely uncomfortable. So it's it, the, the uh, one of the gentlemen that was serving at the uh, the ceremony gave me he broke me off like a big piece, and I was like, "Damn, that's a big slice." Is what I said, and so I started eating it. Then every other time that I licked it, I perched, I vomited in into my bucket, and. I, at this point, I was just completely dehydrated. Like I was getting cramps from sitting and I was still just like staggering in the chair, like mumbling and talking to myself about these ideas And as I'm working through them. And so it's, like, uh, it's like a normal day in the life for me at the office. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot. It was a lot to, it was like a, a marathon. And then fortunately the shaman Saw me and he gave me permission to lie down, and I just felt so relieved, but I was still just completely exhausted. But I had the strength now to at least stay awake now that I was lying down. Ironically, no. In the night ceremony, this is where I again, like I went in with the commitment and promised myself, like, hey, like I'm not going to fucking sleep. Like, I'm not going to sleep through the entire ceremony anyway. Like, I'm going to face what I need to face. And so I, looking into the night ceremony, I was debating whether or not I was going to, whether or not I was going to do it. But then I reflected again on on Nico and Kobe. What would they do? It's like, no, they're going to fucking do it. And so I took the big cup and then I went to sleep for, I told myself that kind of I don't know if anybody else experiences this. I've read that other people experience this, but if you set a reminder or if you set an intention before you go to sleep that you'll wake up at a certain time, you'll wake up at that time. So I went in with the intent of, I am going to just go to sleep for an hour and then I'm getting up. So I did. And I got up and I took one cup and I was completely flying, which was odd because the day ceremony, it took me two cups before I was even... Excuse me. It took me three cups, and then I threw up the third cup right away. Then after that is when I really started connecting. But I took one cup, and I was flying. Like I have sometimes. i when you see things, you don't have, you just have a blur vision or vision that that kind of carries where you may have. You'll see. I, I tend to see like blue and orange lines on everything as, and they're like moving, coming off of it. So I started getting that those visions and. But I was in bed again the whole time and I felt like I needed to purge, not at the front end, but at the back end. And I held it in for an hour just because like I couldn't get up, but it made me feel worse and worse. But I needed to purge after, after I purged that time, I'm like sitting there on the toilet, like, I can't fucking do this. I cannot. I need to sleep. Like my, it was like this war of do I sleep when then, but the other idea that kept me going is that scene in, the Kingdom of Heaven, with that Orlando Bloom movie with Liam Neeson, it's directed and produced by. Not going that far into the, the source, but in that there's a scene where there's the king or this aspiring tyrant named Guy, who's a Templar, is going to become king because he's married to he's married to the king's sister, and he's a piece of shit. He's just power hungry, xenophobic, scumbag, violent, yeah, violent scumbag. And the king is trying to convince Orlando Bloom's character to become king, to do this one thing that would would compromise his integrity, would compromise his morals to do a greater good. And he replies, I'm getting chills even just thinking about it. It's a kingdom of conscience or it's a kingdom of nothing, which means that you stick to your principles regardless of the circumstances. And me, going in my principle being like i'm gonna fucking go to war here like i'm my intention is to do the work and so holding on to that idea is i like visualizing this like i was holding on to like a thread like i was like muhammad ali against george fraser or george foreman excuse me on on the ropes of that boxing match and just like round after round my wits end of and that round after round is me going back to the bed, then having to get back up and purge like every 20 minutes and then go back to the bathroom. And it, it was a dark place. There, I had this vision of like my bed being a black hole, with it's just this gravitational pull of it calling me and pulling me in and I was a spaceship. And then I was just like fucking full throttle. Let's go. There's no fucking way that I'm going to sleep. And so 5 AM rolls around. The sun is starting to come up, and you start to see hearing the chickens, the roosters, and and I'm like, okay, like I'm, I, there's zero fucking chance like I'm going to bed. As much as I want to, I'm sticking by the fire for until daybreak. And so I curled up like right against the fire. Like I took my shoes off, I took my socks off, put them against the fire, and in that moment, it was again total catharsis and victory. Like it's like we're in the home stretch. And I was like, there in my head, there's zero fucking way that I'm going to bed. And it was just total determination and total clarity. And in that moment, it just felt like a massive victory. And until the uh, until daybreak. And then when daybreak came along, I had a vision of Kobe. He came to me, he gave me props. You fucking did it. And he said, I was proud, I'm proud of you. And we hugged. And it was like the best fucking feeling in the world. And after that, the clarity of it's a kingdom of conscious or it's a kingdom of nothing is stuck with me. So I'm doing 75 hard and I made that commitment that I was going to do it. I was going to do it. And so I'm on day eight today. I actually need to get my second workout in after this, but I still have about two two 2.25 liters left. Of water to drink, and I got kind of get my reading in. But despite the fact that I have four more four hour leg tattoo sessions between now and the end of 75 Hard, there's no fucking way that I'm quitting. And there's definitely no
0: fucking way that I've said it after this podcast that I can quit. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's actually also, as another randomist said, that's also in the book is like that necessity to have a male figure kind of approve of you. There's so much value in whether it's Kobe in your mind or like that, there's, it's, I'm annoyed by that. Cause it's like I want to be like, why can't we just be like self motivated, self sustained, but there's something about that, that like vantage point of someone that you admire is giving you that acknowledgement is huge. So I can imagine that was a really powerful moment for you. And yeah, and I think what's interesting to tease out is like, what, what works for you or anyone in these moments? of when you're back against the wall or you're in a difficult situation, or it's you're having a tough time persevering. Like what do you call in? Like, how do you actually get through those moments? So for you, you tap into your inner Kobe, you tap into goals you've publicly stated on a podcast. There's different ways of like, how do you, the self-talk that you go through. That's all an interesting thing to decode in my mind of like, how do you actually, what's the playbook for how do I get through something that I am just dying and itching to quit any, the first second I I get to. And so the fact that you persevere in those circumstances, I think that's an interesting thing to unpack, which you probably did for the most part.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it was the hardest ayahuasca ceremony that I've ever had to do because each ayahuasca ceremony up to that point, I'd always slept through the third ceremony or the second night ceremony. And I'd never I'd always run away from it. And that is not rewarding. It's not is especially because and I'm not sure if I've talked about this before, but I struggle with addiction, namely namely sex, cocaine, MDMA, and video games, which have always been that coping mechanism. One of the one of those four of not facing the things that I need to face, not slaying the knights because hashtag team dragon that I need to face. And there's Brendan, I can't remember his last name, starts with a B Is bring him, right? bringing him, something like that. I don't know. He's a realtor. sells a lot of, does a lot of business. And in Maryland, he's actually the number one realtor in Maryland. He gave a talk at Apex, the mastermind that I'm in. It's like your fight or flight. It's like tap into that of anytime that you feel that flight or that you feel that trepidation is to, it's, that's a sign that you need to fucking, you need to fucking face some shit. You need to go ahead. And so your book on the quick aside, but to put it in perspective, the book that you mentioned, definitely going to pick that up and put that mid to top of my re, top of my reading list because it's, That harmony between all of those archetypes is so important and and there's no, this is the idea of this podcast, the whole fucking theme of this podcast, the Phoenix and the Dragon. There's no strength without harmony. Absolutely. And so finding harmony in that courage and that acceptance or that surrender of the things that facing the things that you need to face is ultimately the key to inner strength, which is in harmony and principles too which is not always easy
0: yeah and the book on talks about all it's very i really recommend it to pretty much everyone but it talks about all these things that we're touching on like when you talk about how addiction is really you running away from different things you need to look at or different pains like it it talks about all that kind of stuff where that yeah you're faced with the choice there's a quote immature the book uses that polarity of immature versus mature and you know there's a, or a shadow versus matured there's a immature and shadow aspect of how to handle all these things when you're feeling these feelings and you're like most people that's why many people have addictions and that many people are it's easier to just pick up the bottle it's easier to zone out on netflix it's easier to watch illicit material on the internet there's it's easier to zone out and just blast your like dopamine systems on scrolling down instagram which i read somewhere that's if you're just like scrolling and you're like don't even know what you're looking for like your brand is like so fucked it's just it's just like so beyond it's just like what am I even doing you're literally just like an automaton which is what they want but so anyway so there's a healthy and mature way to handle these things which it can be a little bit more work sometimes it's it's you got to step up it's not how that's what makes it the thing of are you actually going to put in that work and so I love the mindset that you had of going into this and just like, I'm willing to, I came here to do the work. And yeah, you just think about like, where, if you let the immature shadow aspects of you pervade, if you let them continue, like, where is that going to get you? If you never learn how to have self compassion, you're always just running towards escapism that you can temporarily fill. That's just, they just don't work. So like, it temporarily plugs a hole and then it's like, if anything, it's net negative because then you feel, then there's like a ricochet rebound effect after you do these things, Put, putting aside the fact that it didn't actually solve the deeper rooted issue that you need to examine. So it's, and that's, that's my big mission. And like both in my life and both for my life and in the world as well, is that the culture is to just run towards these escapist ways. Who's doing ayahuasca? Who's doing a meditation retreats? Who's doing the actual work? to try to overcome these things. In some ways it's an uphill battle with technology, trying to pull out your attention and all this stuff, but I respect and would like to cultivate more of a world that actually steps into that because I've seen firsthand from a personal experience, from hearing your experience, from dealing with other people, I've seen it every which way. If you don't address these things, it gets really ugly. And I don't mean like ugly, like not pleasing to look at, like dangerous. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, I know uh, I grew up middle class, but a lot of
1: my area was suburb right next to a blue collar area. And so school that I went to was in the blue collar area. And a lot of my good friends at that time have just grown up to be lost, completely lost. And it's a fucking tragedy, really. Of I know like a number of them are in and out of jail, like, coke addiction and i yeah uh, it's a damn tragedy is what it is and honestly it it makes me like there's so much tragedy in so many of those stories that i definitely would like to be in an opportunity or definitely have an opportunity someday to share and tell those stories in a forum that that i'm passionate about like video but unfortunately it's is life life can break people and if you don't have Excuse me. If you don't have, there was, I can't remember who said this. I think it was, I think it was Ryan Humphreys said, if you don't have a bigger plan, you'll just end up doing somebody else. You'll just end up being part of somebody else's plan. 100%. And if you don't have goals, if you don't, if you're, if you're don't, if you're not focused on achieving and building a kingdom for yourself, and you don't have clarity on what that kingdom looks like, and life will just continue to dictate terms to you and you'll find yourself being lost.
0: No, that's a big one. There is a quote for that. I, I want to find it and dig it up, but that's exactly it. If you don't have your own agenda, you're a part of someone else's agenda. It's something along those lines. Yeah. And that's definitely, it's actually miraculous. It's really interesting how that happens, which it's like, it'll just, it's like insidious where it's like, if you, and I know, cause I've done this where it's like, if you're not clear on what you stand for. And this is what I'm about. And this is what I'm doing. And this is my path. You fall into like other people's like ideas and let's go this direction. And then next thing you know, you're like a feather in the wind, but the wind happens to be people who have their interests at heart, not yours And in, in many ways, it can be like counter your interests, like damaging to you. So that's why not only do you want to have your own thing you're working towards, but Otherwise you're going to fall into someone else's stuff. And it's a coin flip in my opinion, if that's going to be like a remotely good and safe thing for you, right? Like I've worked with bosses and people and partners that took advantage of different situations that I've been in and to like further their own gains, but it's, a, but also at my expense. And so that's and instead of taking a victim mentality on that, I just learn what I need to learn from that. And then look at the common thread of like, the, that's what sharks do. Sharks smell blood. So if they smell the blood, they're going to get it. So in that analogy, it's like, how do you patch up the blood and make sure you're not a, just a sitting duck and waiting target for those people? Because I will guarantee you, they will find you. Don't even worry. They will find you if you're not in, oriented in the right way. That's just what they do. It's just how the world works. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it brings me back to Brings me back
1: to when I worked in security, where I started off working. Like I was, this was back when I was doing like MLM full time and making dick all. And not to say, not to say that it was the MLM's fault. I definitely was a work in progress myself. Is it was could there have been better opportunities out there? Yeah, definitely. But at the same time, like I own my outcome in in that experience. And I was also, I started getting a part-time job working in security. And I started doing sales for the elder just after I, I realized it was funny. Uh, the, the thing that made me quit MLM was that there was one person that was clearing six figures, netting, netting six figures per year in the whole place. And the one thing that we always talked about in the trainings to recruit people was if there's how many people are making six figures of where you currently work? Okay. If there's only one person, then what are your chances to make six figures? And it was just like, uh, almost like uh yeah, like a massive, like irony. Classic. Yeah. Iron- irony on a massive scale. That was, like, looking at that was what made me leave. So after that, I started doing sales for this, this owner of a small business security. He's very determined, very, yeah. Uh, Very much no-nonsense, like very assertive type. And I learned a lot from him. The main thing I learned was, it's like, always get the best deal. and Always go out of your way to get the best deal. You always maximize your value. That was the biggest thing that I learned. And I started off, now, unfortunately, his management team was like a total shit show. Like they created way more fires than they put out. And so I was working in the office. Like I was really just, I would just go out every day, just work for free to just learn and, and make cold calls because I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything better to do. And I was hugging me to learn. And I yeah, think it was about 23, yeah, 23 at the time. This is back in, yeah, 22, 23. This is back in 2016. And so eventually I just started solving problems. I just started fixing shit. I just started putting out the fires that his managers would, uh, would create. And that actually put me in a conflict with one of them who talking about lot being lost is just somebody that, yeah, just very creepy in like the least flattering sense of that word. And it's already not a very flattering word. <laughs> yeah. Just take that to its extreme. And that's who this guy was. And uh, he would smell like he come to the office and fucking shower. He'd smell like shit, like it's just like total mess. and uh, and so Anyways, I didn't get along with him because he smelled bad. And I was like, dude, you need to take a fucking shower. And, and I was also like always like putting cleaning up his shit, putting out his fires. And so eventually I found myself like pretty much like I was there to do sales, but then I was like managing like the whole thing and not getting paid to be a manager. And because I never said anything about it, I was just getting paid on the security shifts that I was doing. But instead he was getting like all of this additional value and I didn't have a driver's license, so I couldn't be you know, on paper, like the manager that he wanted. And I just accepted that at face value instead of trying to figure out a deal and make things happen. But six months, actually, no more. Yeah. Eight months of that went by and I was just like, so done because security is you're on call 24 seven. You have to staff last minute to put out fires. And also I wasn't very organized, like operationally. Even though I was doing the managing the operations, it was literally just like me flying by the seat of my pants and, and making sure that everything was on point because that's how I operate—of making sure shit was on on point. But I didn't build a system; it was just me doing everything and learned the importance of systems and processes of so that experience in hindsight. And anyways, the the good news is for the business. Anyway, we went from as far as security guards from eleven to forty and then he was able to launch this other initiative that brought in 50k in a quarter because now you you don't have to worry about like freeing up time and or time and all this bullshit of like having to put out the fires himself because I was putting out the fires <laughs> and then yeah not only that but I found a I found like a, a replacement for me if I wanted to train somebody and bring somebody in like I just completely stacked his deck just like completely fucking and now he's, yeah, now he's pretty big time actually after that. But it was like, and I didn't get anything for that. And the truth is, I didn't end it. We've since reconciled, but I didn't have like very kind things to say. Yeah. After that experience of like creating all this value and it's, for what? Make it's fucking
0: $22,000. Yeah. No, I have a pretty similar experience. It's just like I said, they'll find you. It'll happen if you don't, you know. No one's gonna really look out for you the way you would look out for your should, and I use that word intentionally, this is like the way you should look out for yourself. It, people aren't naturally, usually, aren't gonna naturally do that for you, right? So you're the one who has to exert, like, this is my value, this is what I deserve. Otherwise, people are gonna trample over you. Not everybody, but enough to where these stories are in the in the millions. I had a similar thing where the fire thing was very, the parallel like story where he would create stuff. He was an activator. He would start new things. It's part of why I partnered with him because he had new energy to get new things done. But that just resulted in a bunch of fires that it became my job to clean up. And then first of all, that just gets frustrating and tiring. And then when you stack on, like now you're not getting the proper acknowledgement. You're like, it's we're not actually recognizing that this is the arrangement. Like I'm the one who's cleaning up the fires, yet I'm not getting compensated fairly, or like all these sort of things. Just trying to like broad strokes parallels to what everything you said, because it's a whole other story. But it's a whole other podcast yeah, episode, it's a whole other thing. But yeah, once so you learn and you. It's just continual journey of, of learning your worth and standing up for yourself and all these things. There's been times in my life when like I wish other people would have stood up for me. There's plenty of times where it's like the appropriate thing is you just have to stand up for yourself and whatever that means is contextual. But I think it's, I think it's good to come back to that, especially for quote unquote, good people. I'm going to do good work. You recognize that make it fair, make it pay me fairly, whatever. Like, why can't it be that simple? Why? I don't know. Read 48 Laws of Power. <laughs> Maybe dark, read dark, mad <laughs> personalities. Read like manipulate. Let's say were. Dar- it's like DARPA or something like the, it's like the acronym for what narcissists do is like defense, attack, reverse, blah, blah, blah. There's just like, there's so many reasons why, greed, whatever. There's so many reasons why it's not going to be that easy. And therefore, I think it's good to, uh to just. Orient to truth, right? What is, what's fair? Like, this is so fucking not fair. All right. So what are you going to do about it? You can have a conversation with him. You can quit. You can start a new business. You're never taking a victim mentality. You're just always taking what's the most useful, most intelligent next step, given this is what it is. And a key aspect of that is knowing when people are at their limits. So some people, I come to them and I say, hey, in my mind, it's this is what I would do with you. Because I think highly of you. I would say, hey, basically, I think you can do better. I really believe that. And here's what I'm asking of you or whatever. And then there's other people where I know they're at their limits. So there's really not a whole lot of like exchange. I just take it as a default of, yeah, this is who you are. You're somebody who cheats people. You're somebody who manipulates. You're somebody who I don't have anywhere close to the same integrity as you. Or then from that awareness, what is your, what's your next step? So it's changing them isn't usually not my next step. I've done that. And that's a mistake. So a more evolved perspective is like, what else can you do? There's plenty of things you can do. You could just leave and basically say like, all right, yeah. Merry Christmas. Sure. Whatever. Get the fuck out of here.
1: And something you touched on about taking a victim mentality and I hope it didn't sound like I was taking a victim mentality at all from this. And I was more expressing it from an observer standpoint was my intention. I'm just reiterating that for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And one thing that I am really grateful from that experience is I've learned a shitload about leadership and managing people because it was a very much a human resources intensive business that forced me to grow and forced me to really take a, really forced me to work with a lot of people that I wouldn't otherwise associate with and
0: learn about their personalities and how to best guide them and direct them to a common goal. Yeah, hundred percent, man. I was completely just saying that as a reminder for myself. Word. What's interesting on bringing it back to the bracket, bring it back to the eye
1: experience, the other idea that I really that I reflected a lot on was this idea of making good art that we talked about offline, Mm -hmm. of that Steve Martin quote of "You don't need a fucking fancy headshot. You don't need like all this bullshit. It's are you good? The only
0: thing you need to learn is how to be funny." I just, I think that's so, such a much needed message, but anyway, where were you going to riff on that? Make it art. Is that not just an extension of, not just an extension
1: of art itself, but anything in entrepreneurship is really an art form. Any form of creation is a, is an art form. So is it good? People want it. Right. That's the question. Like in anything,
0: in, in anything. How do you make something good, useful, helpful, actually move the needle? So this is, so I'll give you a real example that I've tried to implement, which is I used to write to make myself look good. And I try to use big words. I try to sound smart and then I completely shifted. And now I try to write for, is this good as defined as like conveying the message I want to convey? easily as simply as possible for the widest array of fifth grade or above reading level comprehension. And so that's it's like how do you make this actually like useful, not just what is the actual point you're optimizing for? And so the issue that's very apparent to me is most people operate from I'm optimizing for like my ego. It's like what makes me look good. And so I often struggle to respect that modus operandi, if that's the only thing you have to offer. So I try to sift for people who are like, okay, do you actually, are you actually trying to say something that do you actually, are you actually trying to provide real, genuine value? Or are you just trying to peacock is basically the two overly simplified ways that I look at it and happens all the time you're talking to some guy this is why our friends are all just badass entrepreneurs who like don't we don't do small talk we don't do all this bullshit because i can't stand getting stuck in these conversations with people it's like, what is the point of the story other than make yourself sound whatever cool or like center of attention or whatever it's just like, shut the fuck up i don't care i have such low tolerance for like just ego-based operation now <laughs> not to say that's not to say that's not to say that i'm a saint either it's I just think, are you trying to be useful? And so- I try to serve. Are you genuinely trying to serve? Are you genuinely trying to be useful? You can have fun along the way. That's why we banter. That's why we have fun. That's why we just let it rip. Because it's like, yeah, if it's not fun at all for us. We're, it's like, what are we doing here? But there is a place of, I'm at least I, and I can speak for you on this, I believe, is we're actually trying to put stuff out there that is relevant, is like actually helpful. So anyway, there's just, I could rip on that forever. It's just I just can't stand. It's just kind of a pet peeve, I guess. Let's just wrap it up that way.
1: <laughs> no, I I totally get that. And coming from a place of service is really important. And looking at the people who serve at the ayahuasca ceremony, they're all drinking too. Yeah. But like they're there to they're there to serve and to caretake. And that whole idea of them like also drinking but them there to serve is so mind blowing that You're not only are you here for this process, but you're here for the process of others. Anyways, I had an idea that I was going to tie that into what it is that you're saying, but it's gone. (laughs) But Anyway, the point is, is don't be a cunt.
0: Yeah. Just try to be just, I don't know, but it's good to have these little checkpoints all the time, like in how you write and how you speak to people and how you communicate and how you do like all the time. I just try to think of what's like the most useful way to deal with this particular situation. And sometimes I lose that battle. Okay, let's take an example. I show up what they consider late, what I consider fucking early to the to the Medellin airport. And uh, I miss my flight. And it's the most useful thing is to not get angry at the person and like all this shit. And, and I would say I did like, a 50% good job, but at least there's awareness of are you operating from what's the most useful way to deal with this situation sometimes you lose that battle but at least there's a genuine inquiry there's a genuine inquiry in terms of what actually is going to do the work here what's actually going to flip the, <laughs> flip the scripts god damn that was frustrating
1: yeah you can surrender all you want
0: until you're at the fort Lauderdale airport having to wait in customs for three hours it just it reminds it's like a corollary to uh, like airports are a good one a corollary is if you think you're enlightened, go spend a weekend with your family. It's like the same kind of thing where it's it's easy to say this stuff, but that's, those are the moments when things are like, you're actually being challenged. It's like, okay. You missed your flight when you shouldn't have. There's no flight. There's no like reception, flight attendant, whatever they call it, like front desk person to like do their job. So what, so I have to, so I have to find the person who's supposed to be doing their job and then somehow orchestrate that in a way that doesn't convey immense rage and so it's it was a whole it's a whole thing but the point is monitor the ego and try to operate from a place of serving usefulness what's the most appropriate way to to handle it and it's most relevant when it's hardest that's the other thing it's it's most relevant when it's hardest to access the way you quote unquote should operate in these pretty good things because that's when you're having a fight with your significant other. That's when you're wanting to braid the person at the airport. Like they, those are the moments where it's like okay. Who are you going to be? What would Kobe do? Kobe would kick this person's ass. All right, well, let's go. Sorry, Kobe would fly private. <laughs> yeah, Kobe would have fly flown private. Never would have had to deal with this. Like, so let's level. Maybe that's the problem. I need a level <laughs> so I can have. Gotta a- get your pride up, dog.
1: One of my favorite sayings. Side note.
0: Anyway, there's really no point to what I said other than I was complaining about missing a flight. If <laughs> you invest in paid ads with LGG Media so you can get your bread up to acquire customers profitably so you
1: can fly private. There you go. No, Let's plug. Good plug nonetheless. I think we've gone. Yeah, this is literally nine episodes of the plug.
0: Yeah. So that, yeah, you want to plug a little bit what you do? What's your, so you want to explain a little bit more what LGG Media is all about? Oh, yeah, we're, I guess maybe that's not
1: valid because of the intro Probably we just finished and backdated to the other episodes. Yes, sure. We, uh, we spend $1.3 million per month on everything from Google, YouTube, that, Facebook, that's, Instagram.
0: That's million with an M.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And TikTok as well, Snapchat, anything. We don't really... We don't really do LinkedIn, that's the only one, just because the cost per thousand impressions is too high for what it is that they're, what is it, the value that's there. It's not, a, not an efficient ad platform in our opinion. And we run a lot, I mean, we obviously mean, we stick to digital campaigns and we use Hyros to track down to the penny what the return on investment is. So it's very much with the software that we have it's very much the software that we have is the Ferrari of ad tracking. And uh, we're the, we're the Lewis Hamilton of using that software. One our, my co-founder is actually the number one high roast consultant in the world. And if you don't have good attribution, then you're not going to know how your ad campaigns are, are performing, but that requires a whole other podcast episode of like attribution windows, different ad platforms and so on and so forth. But if you're spending 50K per month or more on ads, and you are concerned that maybe your media buyer is, doesn't know what they're doing or that you're not profitable because you're not sure what the return on investment is, then reach out to us and book a call. Done. Boom. Bang. Love it. So on that note, want to wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. For this episode, next week, we have a very interesting guest. We have a good friend Judeofor, probably the most interest, one of the top five and most interesting people on the planet. He grew up in Nigeria. His dad is actually was a king in his tribe. So he's a, we have a real life Nigerian prince coming on and he got an MBA in China and now he lives in Ottawa, Canada. And he mines lithium in Africa and does e-commerce in China. So he's a fucking beast, which we're looking to have on.
0: Excellent. So definitely meets the top five most interesting criteria. That being said, everybody, take care. Now with this episode at a close, let's fucking vamos on out of here.